Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop, and we've got a great panel here this evening. We're going to be previewing the upcoming CFL draft this coming week, and we'll touch on a variety of other topics as well. CFL has some rule changes for this coming season. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have a new third jersey, and the touchdown Atlantic game between the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and Toronto Argonauts. Uh, tickets are flying off the shelves. For that one, we'll touch on all of that here tonight. But before we bring in the whole panel, I do want to mention we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And as always, want to acknowledge that uh, Canadian Football Countdown headquarters are located on Treaty One territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Cree, Ocha Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Metis Nation. Well, we've got the whole crew here with us this evening to break it all down. Uh, the full panel is here. Let's bring them in one at a time. First, the great Michael Garrell is here. Mike, how are you doing this evening? I'm back, and I'm good, and I'm ready to talk some football for a bit. Yes, uh, I believe the first time we've had you uh, back on the show since uh, since our big eight-hour free agency special back in February. Uh, what have you been up to lately? What's going on? Yes, unfortunately, that show didn't win any awards, but still was a fun time anyway. Absolutely. Uh, let's bring in the other members of the panel as well. You heard them both here on our last roundtable a couple of weeks ago. First, the great Trey Colbeck is here. Trey, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, guys. Ready to talk football. Awesome, awesome. And, of course, uh, last but not least, the great Adam Stewart. Adam, how are you tonight? Hey, you're doing very well in Saskatchewan. There we go. There we go. Uh, we're going to have a fun night here talking through all things uh, CFL draft. That's good. That's where we're going to start off with things here shortly. Uh, lots of great, uh, great chatter, I'm sure, as we did on our last roundtable. And we've got a ton of great offseason content to come. And hey, CFL season, less than a month till the preseason kicks off. We'll have full coverage between the four of us here throughout the season this year. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Brian Lowe will not be uh, joining us on the podcast this season after all, uh, based on uh, some discussions together with him there. So uh, it's the four of us. You get the four of us in and out throughout the season. I'm so excited to talk football all year long with all of you. So let's dive right into it. Let's start off with the CFL draft. Tuesday, May 3rd, I believe, is the date. The Edmonton Elks are on the clock with the first overall pick uh, in this draft. Uh, so I don't know necessarily what format we want to go through here, but I, I think it makes sense to, you know, go team by team in the draft and talk a little bit about each of them. Uh, full warning up front, if you're looking for in-depth analysis on any of the prospects on the board here, this is not the episode for you. Go check out the great work of the guys over at CF Perspective. I would say uh, they have done fantastic in-depth analysis on that. Uh, we're going to go a little more surface level here. So uh, let's kick off the round table on this. I want your guys' take. First overall pick, Edmonton Elks uh, on the board. If you're a team with the first overall pick in the CFL draft, how likely are you to entertain the prospects of a trade for the pick versus uh, – you know, taking the, the top player on the board available. Uh, Mike, starting with you. It depends on the circumstance, really. Um, for Edmonton, I, I, I think I don't believe you can afford to – I don't believe you can afford to wait 
for that best guy available because that best guy available might not even play for you, might entertain the NFL. Um, but again, you know, Edmonton kind of needs a little bit of everything. And I think they need a player that they can plug and play right now. And knowing the specialty, I guess, of Coach Chris Jones, wouldn't shock me if he goes on the defensive side of the ball um, and go, goes to get a dive that he thinks can play this year. Um, I'll have more thoughts on Edmonton later, uh, not related to the draft, but um, I think Edmonton needs players that can play right now. Um, I'm not sure they're in a position to to wait on some guys, especially at first overall. As far as the trade, um, there's not a disparity. If there's not a slam dunk consensus hit, and you feel that those top four or top five are easily interchangeable, you could entertain a trade, but I really don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree myself on that. Uh, Adam, what do you think? You know, I'm the same way. I think Chris Jones, based on how he used to draft in Saskatchewan, is going to be looking for that athlete and usually on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, he looks for the guy that's got the most football talent and the fo- that will – he has proved, though, in the past that he does go and wait for a player. However, I don't think the Elks can wait for a player right now. I believe that, yeah, you're right. They, they've got to make the most of this uh, first overall pick, uh, whether it be a strong defensive lineman. There are one or two of them in the draft that are possibly able to be coming over for Chris Jones. Uh, again, probably the biggest one would be uh, either Tyrell Richards as a linebacker or Keontae Knight. I mean, probably either one would probably be a great pick. I think Richards is probably the more consensus number one right now. However, uh, if Chris Jones can make a great deal for a player that he's very comfortable with, he might do it. But I just don't see it. What do you think, Trey? Is this something where uh, are you much on the same page that we expect uh, when he goes up there, I don't know, to the podium or however they do it? I'm assuming not at a podium uh, during COVID uh, necessarily. But uh, do we expect uh, Chris Jones to pick somebody on the defensive side of the ball? Or uh, what do you think uh, the Elks are looking at? No, I agree with everyone else. I think it's a foregone conclusion. He's going to take someone on the defensive side. And uh, like everyone else said, like I think t- – Tyrell Richards is probably your consensus. Deontay Knight would also be a good choice, but probably going to go D with Chris Jones. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, he's tops of uh, all of the mock drafts. You know, Marshall Ferguson has done a couple on the CFL website. John Hodge, Three Down Nations, had a couple as well. Uh, he's the number one guy on the board, and he fits, he fits the Chris Jones mold, right? I, I would be pretty shocked to not see that come. Uh, you know, looking at Edmonton's draft history over the last five years, it seems like they generally kind of lean to the defensive side of the ball. You know, a lot of teams go big on offensive linemen of notable players that have been picked. Uh, only a couple offensive linemen. I mean, uh, Kyle Saxelid's one of them that, that certainly stands out there. You know, Thomas Jack Curdola from 2020. Other than that, you're going big defensive side of the ball for the most part for Edmonton and uh, Chris Jones in particular, that's his, that's his forte. Not, uh, not much of a surprise there. 
moving on to the, the the second pick in the draft, we've got the Ottawa Red Blacks on on the the clock there. Uh, let's go to you first on this one, Adam. Uh, talking about the Red Blacks, where do you see the positions of need for them coming into this draft? Well, they've had quite a few needs going into the offseason. Uh, one in particular I think that they really were going to need to look at uh, was definitely on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, it'll be very interesting. This is uh, uh, General Manager Burke's first draft. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with this. Uh, again, being that uh, uh, Knight uh, is right, probably going to be the se- uh, consensus second overall pick uh, behind Terrell Richards. Good defensive lineman. I could see them going for Knight, especially being a uh, uh, good guy out of Western. I, I think it's possible that he'd be the second overall pick. Again, though, Ottawa has some other needs too. Offensive line being in there as well. Uh, and let's face it, there isn't a whole lot of old line in this draft uh, immediately in the first round. So I think probably they'll go defense, but it wouldn't surprise me to also see them go for an old lineman. Well, that's one of those things to me, uh, offensive line, that uh, the Red Blacks, that's one of the positions I thought they improved the most this offseason. They brought a ton of new pieces in there to fill that void. So I don't think it's maybe necessarily an immediate need for them on the offensive line uh, for Ottawa to go that direction. But, uh, you know, you always got to build up the future as well. And that's one of those positions where you love to build up with some Canadian talent there. Uh, Trey, your thoughts on the Red Blacks going into uh, this draft? Yeah, they're a team that clearly can improve in a lot of places. Just with the offensive mindset of Paul Apolise, so I could see him going with uh, either one of the Philpot uh, brothers from Calgary. You know, add some more. Um, I've heard I got some inside sources that tell me those are two guys you should watch out for if uh, your team is lucky enough to get them. Yeah, I, I think they need to. Yeah, you know, I ran the risk of repeating myself, but. Uh, no, I agree that I think they need to go something on the offensive line. I think, you know, the end goal for, for La Police uh, coaching regime in Ottawa is to run an offense so, similar to what he did in Winnipeg. Um, to me, there's no better way to start uh, with offensive line and building blocks that way. The third overall pick on the board, I believe, belongs to the BC Lions. And I got to say here, guys, if the Lions don't go offensive line early in this draft, I will be kind of shocked because they overhauled the entire defensive line this offseason. They brought in some big pieces of defensive backfield. They've got a great crew of wide receivers. You've got your young quarterbacks, Nathan Rourke, Michael O'Connor, two Canadians who were drafted by in the past in this draft. Nathan Rourke selected 15th overall in 2020. Like you got to get some protection up front for them. I feel like that's a position that's uh, that's been a weakness there for uh, for BC uh, the past couple of seasons as well. So that's where I would lean for BC coming into here. Uh, anybody else have any any thoughts on the Lions uh, maybe doing something different? Uh, no, I agree. They should go with the offensive line. You got the two uh, two younger Canadian quarterbacks. You want to definitely protect them uh, going forward this season. And uh, like you said, they kind of are heavy on the receiver side. So looking at the, kind of the mock draft, I guess you go with uh, Rodem Brown or Noah Zur, right, from Saskatchewan to fill in those spots. 
No, I think I agree. You got to go O line. Uh, I think out of those two, though, Brown or uh, Noah Zur, Zur is probably the most ready immediately. So if you think that you're going to be going for a shot right now and you want to get Nathan Rourke's in protection, your pick probably should be Noah Zur. Mike, any thoughts on the Lions? Yeah, I, again, don't want to run the risk of repeating myself, but the offensive line has been a sour need uh, in BC for a while. Um, to be honest, I, I do have some concerns with going Canadian at quarterback, um, but you can't keep your quarterbacks upright without an offensive line. And, you know, we saw it at the tail end of the Michael Riley era. Um, he could not. He was trying to do too much uh, because of a lot of protection. Um, everybody knows what a great offensive line does here in Winnipeg. Um, it is the, the backbone of a lot of football teams, uh, offensive and defensive lines. Uh, to me, I'm with a lot of people who believe that, you know, BC can make a sizable future long-term upgrade and offensive line in this particular spot. Yeah, much the same agreement across the board there. We'll see where the Lions go early on in that one. They, they have had some good draft picks in the past couple of years. Uh, some good linebacker picks. Jordan Williams in 2020, who uh, I believe was their rookie of the year, I want to say, last year, or highly in contention there. Uh, Jordan Herdman reed back in 2017 in the seventh round. Uh, so some good picks uh, by the Lions. Uh, of course, a number of others that could list them off. Uh, for a while, and uh, we'll see this year what uh, 15th overall pick Nathan Rourke has as he's the uh, the starter there for the Lions. Next up, we go to the Montreal Alouettes, who have the fourth overall pick, uh, a team that I would say if I were to rank the teams based on their drafting in the last five years, I'm sorry to say I'd probably put the Alouettes lower down on the board. You know, uh, it seems like they, they've had a heavy focus on the offensive and defensive lines here. None of the guys, you know, have stood out as massive playmakers to me that, that they've drafted as of late. So looking to turn the tide here in 2022, uh, where do we see the, the positions of need for the Alouettes guys? Starting with you, Adam. Well, I'm going to go and uh, most times you don't usually make a splash with a wide receiver uh, early in a draft. However, uh, two very, very good draft picks are available uh, for the Montreal Alouettes to take, and that's Tyson and Jalen Philippot out of the uh, University of Calgary. You look at the depth on the Montreal Alouettes wide receiving core. Yes, you've got Herji Mayala, and you've got uh, uh, Rashawn Simonize uh, in there, uh, which is two good Canadians, but really you could use another one or maybe even both maybe montreal here is this is the point maybe where they try to make a deal or a trade to get that extra person and do kind of like the vancouver canucks did back in the day oh. take both of them and i wouldn't be honestly i wouldn't be surprised if uh if there's something brewing there you stole my thought you stole i was i thought the i thought the sedine twins for sure if uh, any team uh, could swing the trade because I think it, I think Montreal needs to take one of them there because I think you start getting to those mind games where do you want a team farther down the list to pick up one of those two receivers? Do you really want to give Winnipeg or Saskatchewan, you know, 
more of a chance. And uh, so I would definitely take uh, one of the Philip Hall, whichever one's available at that time. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, the Johnny Manziel trade tree just keeps getting <laughs> Um But, no, I, I, I think, you know, if, if we talk about Montreal, uh, I believe they are one of the teams that could move down uh, if they wanted to to get another to get another batch of pits, depending on how deep you see this draft being. But again, it's you know your fourth in the order, fifth in the order here. Do you think you can get your guy at number five or number four? And then, if you can, hang on to that pick, even move down if you had to. If you want to, if you think that your guy is going to get pit before, then go up and get him. But... Like to me, I agree with the whole wide receiver uh, discussion here. But Montreal has some options. It's not like they need to do this or they need to do that. And I would be content to have a deal in my back pocket um, if I should need to move up because, you know, I fear that my guy's not going to be there. And then, you know, you pull the trader. But... It's nice to have options. And I think I'm leery exactly what what else was just said at those general managers right after me. Uh, Winnipeg seems to always take uh, pretty decent first-rounders, Saskatchewan as well. So tread carefully, I guess. I think the Alouettes are one of those teams that uh, doesn't really necessarily need to focus on the offensive line. I think they had a very underrated offensive line last year and, uh, you know, gave up very few sacks and uh, gave Vernon Adams a lot of time back there. He struggled at times, but he succeeded at others with that. Uh, I like the play at receiver here, too, because... Uh, the big two, you've got Eugene Lewis, you've got Jake Winicky as your your one and two punch there in Montreal. You've got, you know, BJ Cunningham is no longer in Montreal. You have uh, Reggie White Jr. stepped up late last season. They brought in Herji Mayala, but I think there is a spot for a big play receiver and maybe one of the you know, Philippot brothers uh, is the option to fill that there. Let's move on to a team that Sleeps on free agency day, but comes alive at this time of year. It's the Calgary Stampeders are next on the board. Uh, first round draft history. They, they've had some decent picks there. Uh, last year it was, you know, Amin Ogbong Bamiga. Uh, the year before, Isaac Adeyemi Berglin. Herji Mayala in 2019. Ryan Sevier on the offensive line in 2018, for example. Some decent picks there, but uh, the the Stampeders really uh, succeed in the late rounds as well. I mean, just this last season, Luther Hakunavanu was a fifth-round pick. He had some good games for them. Uh, we've seen Justin Lawrence offensive line picked in the fifth round, Richie Sindani in the eighth round. Colton Hunchak was literally the last pick in the draft in 2019. He's been a, a producer there at wide receiver, so... 
to me, it's almost less what they do in round one and just wait to see what comes out of round five for Calgary. Uh, what do you think, Trey? Uh, I think my first choice, again, if they're available, I think they'll take one of those receivers because, you know, as like I said on my last up on our last episode, I think Bo Levi's on his down stretch, but you want to give him as many options as possible if you want to have a chance to win. And of course, it's the CFL draft. If if they're not available, you're probably going to take the next best O lineman to try to keep Bo upright and just go from there. After that, like you said, they've been uh, pretty good at the later rounds too. You can always find a gem down there. Yeah, I I, I would not be shocked if. Given their late round success in the draft, is if they found a way to trade this pit for something later on. Um, because that's the Kyle Walters, and I know I'm biased. The last guy I wouldn't want to deal with on draft day is Hop, um, because he's had some pretty shrewd moves. Um, so I'm gonna go out on a limb, not suggest a player or position, and just say that Calgary's gonna trade this pit. Well, that would bode to my theory of Montreal possibly being a good trading partner. But uh, I'll tell you what, I don't. Here's here's my thought: is Calgary won't trade this pick. They might trade. It's either Montreal's going to get the twins, or Calgary's going to get them. Because I think that either Montreal is going to trade and make a good trade and go later, and Calgary will go later on, and that could happen. Or Calgary, because let's face it, they've been watching them in the UFC. I'm sure. Uh, if you guys took a look earlier this week. John Cornish got named chancellor of the U of C. I just have a funny feeling, and maybe it's just me with a bunch of conspiracy theories, that the Filippo boys are either going to end up both in Montreal or they're both going to end up in Calgary. And, man, would that make some stories if they end up as Calgary Stampeders. That would be awesome uh, to see them be able to play together in Calgary like that. Uh, next on the board, the Toronto Argonauts, I got to say, compiling the list of draft picks over the last five years, the Argos have had a very strong draft over the past number of years. They've got a, a bunch of, uh, of pieces who have made an impact in the lineup. I look at their 2019 draft as a particularly strong one. Offensive lineman Shane Richards first overall. Robbie Smith on the D-line at ninth overall. Matthew Boateng contributing at defensive back. Michael O'Connor, uh, Canadian quarterback there. Curly Gittens Jr., who last season, to me, was one of the top up-and-coming receivers. And I'm high on him coming into this year and what he's going to do in that Argos offense. Like, that's just to name a few. Uh, they've been pretty good across the board. Uh, you know, at all positions, they found some gems, I would say, the Argos. So... I don't know, what's the position of need for Toronto coming to, into this year? To me, I, I have a hard time necessarily pinpointing that because I think they're a team that's slowly gotten better kind of at every position. It's kind of a well-rounded team. Uh, let's, let's go right back to you, Adam, and start with you on this one. Well, you know, I was looking at the Argonauts here, and in national linebacker, uh, they just lost a big piece over to the Calgary Stampeders in Cameron Judge. I think that the Gargonauts, if it's available, will try to go for a linebacker. Uh, Coastal, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Enoch uh, McConzel, and I apologize for butchering that name. I hope I didn't do it too badly. But anyways, I think he'd be a good pick for the Argonauts right now. Uh, just because if you look, they've got Alexandra Chevrier in there as a linebacker. Uh, they do have a few pieces in there. It, Enoch Wamba is getting a little bit older now. So it might be time to bring in another linebacker. 
and I believe uh, that could be their pick. Yeah, if the if he's available, I could see them going that route. I could also see them, you know, adding depth to their old line if they want to ever try to intimidate or um not intimidate. Uh, repeat Andrew Harris's success, they need to have an O-line, right? I think that a lot of Andrew Harris's success in Winnipeg came from the O-line here. Now, we can see how many years he has left, but if you give that O-line and you give um, Bethel Thompson and uh, Harris space back there, it could definitely change their season. Yeah, I, I think, you know, too, the biggest thing we look at with, with Bethel Thompson is a lot of his interceptions are thrown, I think, as a result of not having time. Uh, you know, they've really done a nice job the last couple of years outside of the draft. And even in the draft, uh, connecting with a lot of pass catchers for them. Um, but again, it, it's, it's one of those scenarios of, you know, we're about to see kind of like, what happened between BC and Winnipeg when Harris first came here, you know, Wally Buono thought that, you know, Andrew Harris was on the downturn of his career. Uh, now we're about to see if Kyle Walters made the same gamble. But I think it's really going to come down to, as has already been said, if, if you can protect them. So offensive line, you know, he, Harris had holes. So, so big to run through sometimes, um, but it was almost like you expected certain runs at certain times. But again, I, I think that's going to be the great, you know, equalizer. And I believe that Toronto may have and may be on par with what Hamilton has. Again, if Andrew Harris is close to what he is in Winnipeg. And I think the only way you replicate that success is by having an offensive line that, you know, goes two or three beyond the starting five. Now, the seventh pick in round one goes to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So I think uh, it's only fair we go to Adam first on this one as our resident riders expert here. So, uh, Adam, uh, not a bad draft, draft history for the Riders in recent years as well. Uh, they particularly found some success at the wide receiver position where uh, they, you know, over the past five years, uh, they've had four wide receivers that played meaningful time last season uh, have come from the draft. Uh, Keon Schaefer-Baker, Justin McInnes, Braden Lenius, Mitchell Pickton. They found some success at other positions as well. So, you know, some strong offensive linemen, a couple of solid linebacker picks. So uh, what do you think uh, of the recent draft history for the Riders and uh, where do you see them going this year? You know, I'm even going to be uh, one more uh, bolder step here. I'm actually going to pick somebody from Saskatchewan. Uh, the Riders have a need for a national offensive lineman. With the situation with Brendan O'Bat not improving yet, uh, they need somebody. They love the old farm boy from Saskatchewan. So it's going to be one of two picks. It's either going to be uh, Peter Kuznushka. And again, I apologize. The man's from Yorkton. I should know the name. Uh, offensive lineman uh, from the University of Alberta. I believe he would make a great pick for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, and of course, the uh, pick that everybody's been talking about here in Saskatchewan, Noah Zur, uh, another good pick for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. 
It's got that big frame on him. He's ready to play football today. And I think the Riders have to go with not only a national, but a provincial draft pick. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, when I think of Ryder, uh, homegrown talent, not necessarily drafted, uh, the first guy that comes to mind is uh, Brendan Labatt. Um, you know, they had another, uh, his name escapes me, Adam. You can help me out. There's the local kid uh, that played for the this year. Uh, who took really, 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 really big strides. Um, and I, I think there's something to uh, there's something to being drafted by your hometown team, but that's a sense of pride. And it, it, it's so hard because, you know, I personally expected the Riders to be the biggest uh, threat to the Blue Bombers in, in, in the playoffs. And in the season, um, and again, it, it's almost like it's almost like Saskatchewan needs to go offensive line if they can, because I felt like you know Cody Pajardo wasn't well protected at points last year. Um, you know, you could you could make an argument for the for the play calling, of course, uh, but but I I think going local. Uh, the Riders have had a lot of success with that uh, in, in recent seasons. And if if you can do that, uh, it would be advantageous. But the fan base has to remember it's what's best for the team, uh, not necessarily just because he's local, right? So it's, it's kind of the double-edged sword, but... You know, if, he's, if if they're there and you think they can help you, by, by all means, you know, it's it's another feather in the cap and it's an enticement to uh, it's an enticement to sign with the writers. Yeah, just going through their current roster right now, it looks like they have two old linemen from University of Saskatchewan and two old linemen that were from the junior program in Regina. So if you get a fifth guy, you know, that builds the team morale that, you know, you got a bunch of guys who, who let's be honest, they're going to have Pilsners after the game. And, you know, so, and you got to keep Fajardo upright. You got to give him time so he can keep hitting the upright in the end zone every game. Um, otherwise, you know, you're going to have the same problem last couple last years with the injuries, right? I, I think you, I agree. You shouldn't go for a guy just because he's local, but looking at their current O-line structure, I think you almost have to, to, to make Michael's point for the betterment of the team. It, it seems like the perfect fit in all ways around, right? Uh, particularly Noah Zur. If he's there, like, that's one of the picks I would bank on the most here, I think, in this draft. Right, Adam? Yeah, no, I agree. And, I mean, you look at what the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have done for getting in those uh, for those solid Canadian uh, national offensive linemen. You've got Matlin Riley, uh, guy from Melfort. Uh, Logan Furland came out of the University of Regina, sorry, the Regina Thunder. Uh, Evan Johnson, another guy that was a uh, born in Saskatchewan player. Dan Clark's another one that was from the Regina Thunder. They really seem to have good, good luck with these offensive linemen uh, and national offensive linemen. And let's face it, uh, if you can't keep Cody Fajardo upright and you got to do something. And so, this could be a big step into that, especially with the additions of Jamal Campbell and also adding in uh, 
Maurice Simba. I think both of those will really – the Riders' offensive line, all of a sudden with one extra pick, looks very good. Moving on to the Ticats at the eighth pick in the draft. Hamilton's a team that's uh, kind of an interesting one with the draft because they, I feel like they've been hit and miss. Uh, you know, you look at last year, uh, first overall pick they got uh, after the uh, the lottery uh, pick, right? Because uh, no season with the before last draft. So they, I think they did a random draw of some sorts. Uh, and they go uh, tight end Jake Burt, who, you know, still could turn into a great player, but uh, he had injury problems last year. He didn't get to play uh, last season, and was a, that was a big disappointment. Mark Chapman back in 2018, I remember, was one of the most hyped first overall draft picks I remember in recent years. And I, I don't honestly remember if he even hit the field with the tie caps or, or stuck around for very long. So they've had some misses there. They've also had some, you know, real good success with players in the draft. Uh, you know, you look at the past couple of years, you go, you look at, uh, you know, 2019, Jesse Gibbon uh, in round one on the offensive line, Nikola Kalinic, he's off to play with the Indianapolis Colts in the NFL now. David Rungerer has been a contributor. Malik Irons has been a contributor there. You know, you, you look over the years, uh, heck, Sean Thomas Erlington, one of their top running backs, was a seventh-round pick back in 2017 so hit and miss draft history here for the tie cats will it be a hit this year um a team that's been in the finals back-to-back -back seasons but uh has uh fallen just short needs that extra piece here mike what are you looking at as a position of need potentially for the tie cats i, I think hamilton can kind of go best available here uh you know, I, I wouldn't pin it down to one position. Um, hot success, as you said, Ryan, late late in the draft. Um, it's interesting, right? Because they haven't had a to my re, to my recollection, they've had a lot of first round picks lately from me from the uh, Mandel swap. Um, this is almost a team, but yeah, you're. You can almost afford, and I, I hate to use this term, you can almost afford to take a project here knowing that you don't need this guy to fit in right away. You can kind of bring this guy in, bring him along. You know, if he plays a snap or two for you this year, great. If not, you know, he can go back, you know, to school. Uh, it's a very interesting scenario where Hamilton is, and I think they can just go best available and uh, afford to bring this guy along with some time. You know, I'm looking at the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and I think that they've got pretty good depth all over, and you're right, they probably could take a little bit of a project here. However, the Hamilton Tiger Cats want to win a Super, uh, want a Great Cup. They probably want to win a Super Bowl too, maybe. You never know. But a Great Cup would do first. Um and Samuel Elias is a guy we haven't talked about. Uh, apparently, he is about the same like the Philippos. He has a very good chance of being a high draft pick. Uh, again, not sure what exactly would make him fall down to number eight. I guess just maybe some hype on some other players. But really, the Hamilton Tiger Cats probably could get away with either a project or they could take a wide receiver. I mean, they've got some depth in there, David Unger. Uh, they've got a few other good wide receivers in there as well. 
that could be competing for spots this year. So you may not want to disturb that, but I think probably right now it's looking more and more like maybe they should take an off or take a uh, wide receiver. Is is my opinion. Yeah, the the interesting thing for me here. Uh with the Ticats as well is that they are a team, like you said, Mike, that, you know, they, they've got a pretty solid roster here. There are maybe some holes, but, you know, late round here, I would say, you know, offensive line struggles at, uh, at struggled at times last season. You maybe go there, try to fill that hole in a little bit uh, coming into this year. I think defensive side of the ball, they've still got a very good crew there on the defense. So I would lean something offensive as well, probably a wide receiver, maybe an offensive line, if I were the Ticats here. Uh, Trey, any thoughts on uh, Hamilton? Uh, yeah, no, I agree that their roster seems pretty pretty solid. I would maybe go with the receiver that's ranked around the eighth uh, from Louisiana Tech here. But you could also go O-line. You can never have enough O-line, Canadian O-linemen on your roster. Is it surprising? I feel like most drafts heavily we're looking at, you know, first round picks. It's going to be offensive line, offensive line, offensive line, offensive line, maybe a defensive player. And then like we're looking at six, seven picks in the first round or offensive line. Just looking at some of these mock drafts here, you know, we're looking at four, maybe five offensive linemen considered in the first round tops. Uh, to me, I find that interesting that this year it seems maybe more of a focus on some of these other uh, other positions around the board. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I tend to agree. Usually you do have a lot of offensive line in the CFL draft. Uh, let's face it, I mean, most coaches are always wanting those big offensive linemen from Canada. Uh, and again, more of the skilled pl- spots are up for Americans. However, you're right. This year here, it seems like it's more of the linebacker the wide receiver, I mean, we've talked about three of them already tonight, uh, and even a defensive lineman and a few others that are just, it's not the, like the CFL draft used to be where it's pretty much old linemen. No, I agree with that because we're starting to see a lot more uh, those special position or specialty positions come from Canada. Um, and I don't know, it kind of might tie in too, I was looking at the past drafts. We have a lot of guys coming from the NCAA, which there too, you got guys who, you know, somehow break into those rosters and then come back, could potentially come back up here uh, to get playing time. So, and uh, I like to see those specialty positions and we could see Claypool with Pittsburgh, right? So Canadians are definitely making it into the NFL and uh, top level products. Yeah. And the thing to note here with the, with a lot of these positions as well is the global draft is the same day, right? So uh, while you might not see a team go offensive line early in, in the CFL draft here, so to say, uh, who's to say we don't see, you know, filling different uh, positions of need through the global draft. That's the same day. Cause there's been some good global players that have come through these drafts and made notable impacts for their team. So two drafts, the same day, uh, Mike, any thoughts on the kind of overall board before we uh, move on to our final team here? Yeah. You know what? I, I think most years you see offensive line, defensive line, um, to me, it's just interesting, right? Because I hate to use my old podcast line, but here it comes. There are certain positions on the field where your players are a dime a dozen as far as interchangeable. Um, this just seems to be a bit of an anomaly where, um, you know, your, you know, your best players in, I guess, this age group are 
not on the offensive line, which it's kind of weird, right? It's kind of like if I could translate it uh, to the NFL draft for just a moment. You know, that's a lot of offensive line, defensive line, defensive end heavy uh, in, the, in the first round this year. Whereas in most years, we've seen four of the top sits or five of the first ten, you know, be that franchise quarterback. So it, it, it's kind of interesting how um, it's kind of interesting how you can um, it's kind of interesting how from year to year the drafts uh, strength are primarily the same, but then you have this kind of unusual circumstance where you know wide receivers come up commodity over offensive linemen. It's, it's just very interesting. Um, and there's a lot of, um, I would say in a, in a normal year, there's a lot of Canadian offensive linemen that, you know, are coveted. Um, you know, if, if I if I look at most CFL rosters, there seems to be more stability at offensive line on most teams this year. And again, I think it's just a byproduct of the type of year that we're having and you know, if there was two receivers in the top five, well, that's just the way it's going to be this year. And, you know, next year it might revert back to more of that offensive line heavy kind of draft. So every draft is different. And, you know, I keep reverting back to a line of, oh, it's the most exciting draft ever. And then you find out, oh, that line has been mattered eight times out of the last 10 years because, you know, people think it's the biggest uh, drama film draft ever. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you go back and it's like, oh, that was said last year and two years ago and two years ago, right? So my London-winded answer is, although things seem to be concrete at points, there is going to be a surprise or two in this draft that I don't think any of us will see coming. And that's why we wait for these things with anticipation. Yeah. And, and, you know, to your point about this being the most like saying, Oh, this is an exciting draft. We truly won't know the effects of this draft until two, three, four years down the road. Right. Uh, with every, with all of these drafts, I mean, you look at the recent draft picks the last couple of years, a couple notable impact players, but once you get into, at this point, the 2018-2019 draft, that's when you start seeing more impact players across the board in the different rounds. Uh, let's let's go to the final team to end off the, the first round of the draft. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, are on the clock there. Uh, let's start with you, Trey. Uh, what are you thinking here for the defending champs? You know, I'm going to go a little bit off the board here because I don't know if they'll be able to grab him in the second round. I'd go with University of Manitoba product Gavin Cobb. I think, you know, he really showed up at the combine. They have him ranked, like I said, early third round, late second round. But the Bombers got a solid old line. And I think they would really need a guy to just fill in just in case, you know, anything ever happened to Dembski. So it doesn't mess with the ratio there. So I would go Gavin Cobb and... Uh, really add some depth to the Canadian wide receivers. Yeah, I'm, I'm nodding my head uh, for those that can't 
can't see it. Um, if there's any team that I think that can't afford a reach here, I think it's Winnipeg. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they do not have a second-round pitch. Is that how this works? Uh, I'm not too familiar, but... They, um, they 18th overall, they do have a second-round pick, yes. Okay, so, yeah, so it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, I, I think Winnipeg can re- afford to reach here. Um, it's interesting because Kyle Walters has a history of, you know, this is the guy we think they're going to take, this is the guy that they should take, and then it's one of those, who? And, you know, we can think six months down the line of this player signing and this player having a massive, massive impact, um, in a way, and you know, I reckon it to the uh, first ever uh, international draft and pulling Theodric Hansen out of a hat, um, being a pretty impactful player, not right away, but down the line. And I, I, I think that Kyle Walters is going to grab somebody here that nobody's really talked about that you know it's so interesting scenario and and i work for you know a hockey lead and and in there i get to see you know teams draft lists uh, obviously which which are not made public but the ones that i see uh just for the sake of seeing them how players are ranked by different teams is absolutely amazing. One player will view this player as the top, and then you look for that player on somebody else's list, and they're near the middle or near the bottom. And I, I think football can be a lot like that. So I really trust Kyle Walters, and I think he's going to find the next gem anywhere on the depth chart because, you know, nobody expected them to take Kyle uh, Borsa last year as the running back uh, from the U of R. Uh, turns out it sounds like the Bombers are planning on using them as the third running back on the depth chart and or on the practice roster this year. Um, so in Kyle Walters, we trust, long story short, and he's going to find a gem that is going to be very, very impactful, if not this year, in future years. Well, the Bombers have been kind of hit and miss uh, in the draft as well, right? Like, you look at Faith Akakini first overall, 2017. That one didn't work out. Rashawn Simonai was their first pick, 12th overall. In the uh, 2018 draft, that didn't work out. 2019 was a very good year when they drafted Drew Desjardins and Jonathan Kongbo back-to-back in the first round. I believe that might have been off of the Drew Willie trade. I want to say to Toronto getting those dra- getting that first round draft. Yeah, I think, I think that was the Drew Willie trade. Yeah, yeah. So a huge steal. Two guys that went off to the NFL this soft season. Uh, Brady Oliveira later in that uh, in the second round there as well. So they've had some hits. They've had some misses. I disagree with both of you, actually, that uh, they should, uh, you know, they can go maybe a wide receiver position. I think the Bombers got to go offensive line here because 
to me, you look at Stanley Bryant getting up there in age. You look at Pat Newfeld getting up there in age. You know, uh, Jamarcus Hardrick's been around for a little while as well. Like, the Bombers have the best offensive line in the league, but how many more seasons are they going to have that O-line for, right, before guys start hanging up the cleats, going different directions? So uh, we've seen the years of bad offensive lines here in Winnipeg. We've seen the years of very good offensive lines here in Winnipeg. I, I say you go O-line here for Winnipeg in the draft and just keep that streak going for years to come. Uh, Adam, what do you think? You know, I'm going to go extremely off the board compared to these oh. other two, and this is going to be a good one for you guys because we all do know Kyle Walters does no go crazy. I think mostly good offensive, like the real high-quality first-round offensive linemen will be gone by this point. Uh, you are probably going to get Noah Zer. Uh, there is the other gentleman from Saskatchewan. Uh, I don't know. He might be gone by this point as well. So here's my thing. Kyle Walters likes to make a big splash. I'm going to go with Trey Ford, Ooh. the quarterback, uh, as a dual threat, as a quarterback or a receiver. Winnipeg could use a receiver uh, that's national right now to go compliment Nick Dembski. And let's face it, they've got only three quarterbacks coming to camp. If you follow the Edmonton Elks theory, you have to have at least a minimum 12. So <laughs> they got to start picking up quarterbacks. Interesting thoughts. What do we think about that? Because that's another guy. That's a guy I was going to bring up here as we uh, get close to wrapping up our draft talk is uh, we see BC going to two Canadians at quarterback this season. So they're starting the precedent for it. What do we think of a guy like Trey Ford that uh, a team may be looking to uh, to replicate that? Trey, what do you think? I, that thought crossed my mind, and especially with the new two quarterback rule. I definitely thought he looks like a guy who is athletic and to Adam's point could move over to receiver, but it's not a bad idea having, you know, potentially two guys who could throw it out there. Uh, you know, if we want to go crazy and now with more space too, with the hash marks moving and you could go, you could really find some things you could use with this guy. And uh, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be against it uh, with a, whoever they pick. Well, I'm most interested from this to see what the pre-draft rankings are going to look like going into next year, because I am very intrigued to see where quarterbacks end up on the mock drafts based on how BC's system goes this year. If they succeed, shoot them up to the top of the mock drafts. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, granted, I don't know who's in the draft class or anything like that, and if there are some high-quality quarterbacks there, but uh, I could see them being rated a little bit higher there. Uh, so CFL draft goes next week, May 3rd, Tuesday, uh, I believe live on TSN. You can catch the, uh, is it the whole draft or just the first couple of rounds? Anybody know? I think it's the first round. And then they usually switch over to TSN.ca if you want to catch the rest of it. Uh, so I guess guys like us will probably be on TSN.ca. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. So, uh, yeah, you can check out the CFL draft, and uh, I'm sure we'll recap uh, some of the events uh, next week here on the podcast as well. But uh, we want to get to some other topics here yet uh, on this episode. So let's shift over from the draft talk. Uh, let's let's go over next. Uh, Adam, tell us a little bit about Touchdown Atlantic and uh, what's going on with that uh, that game between the Riders and the Argos. Well, the game actually uh, got tickets available this week, and in less than one hour, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Toronto Argonauts, I should add especially that part, the Toronto Argonauts, sold out all 10,000 tickets 
to the game that's going to be played out in Nova Scotia. Uh, huge credit to the fans out in Atlantic Canada that just want to watch some good Saskatchewan Rough Rider football. Man, the Argos too. Uh, it's a uh, going to be a great game. And let's face it, if they if, if that's not proof that they are very hungry for some extra football out in Atlantic Canada, I don't know what does. I think it's great. I think um, you know they definitely need to add seats. I think you know I understand the town that it's in itself is not much bigger than the stadium, if I'm not mistaken, but you definitely got to add seats. Um, if you sell out in an hour and you're trying to put a team there and a commissioner is saying it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You need to, you know, you need to at least try another five, 7,000 tickets somehow. If you can add those seats, do everything you can. You got till July, but it's great. I want to see it. I want to see the schooners. I want a 10 team league. I'm tired of a first week and last week by, we need this team. So uh, all the success. And you, I think it's the best two teams you can have there. You know, you got the Rough Riders who are basically the Dallas Cowboys of Canada. And then you got the Argos who are trying to, you know, it, uh, grow their fan base. So should be a good one. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? Uh, good to see here and uh, signs of more things to come. Yeah, I really hope so. I really hope so. Because we were led to believe that the pandemic tended to bosh that that uh, 10th team in Atlanta, Canada. Uh, I was really surprised uh, when Commissioner Ambrosi came out and said it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, especially after we were led to believe that the idea was basically dead on arrival uh, from the government as far as stadium funding goes. But it, it's interesting, right, because you look at a, a one-off scenario versus – you know, being able to support a team eight games a year plus a preseason game. Uh, this is a really, really, really good test. Uh, I'm glad they responded. But to me, I think this opens up a discussion about where do you place this team uh, to the convenience of that region, right? I mean, like Wolfville, Nova Scotia, yeah, it's good. You, you put, a, put a stadium there. but you know, you got Halifax, you got all these, especially if you're going to call them the Atlanta, the Atlanta, use the, use the word Atlantic. To me, to me, the issue is going to become where do you put this stadium? Um, no doubt in my mind, the support is there. But, you know, it's just, I, I, I would hate to think we're in a situation of it's all taught. It's all taught, right? Like, Hey, you, you say it's going to happen. Where's the stadium going to go? What's it going to look like? When's this team going to play football? Because to me, it just seems like a whole bunch of empty right now. I want to believe that that 10 team is going to happen. We need that 10 team. But you can't without the most important part of any organization is a stadium or an arena. Maybe this gets it on board, and that's why I love these touchdown Atlantics. But to me, it's time to take these touchdown Atlantics and turn them into a fundamental stadium idea where everybody can kind of put their heads together and say, how are we going to get this stadium done? It's clear there's the support in the market for it. Right? Enough of this touchdown Atlantic, and let's get team actually in there and playing and make this the Canadian Football League 
from coast to coast, rant over. Yeah, let's go from uh, touchdown Atlantic to Atlantic uh, scoring touchdowns, am I right? Or something like that. Uh, Let's get that 10th team there in the Atlantic region. Uh, Yeah, I'm super excited to see this sold out. I'd love to see the breakdown of how many tickets are, are local uh you know fans there how many are are argos or riders fans traveling from their respective cities and and, you know going on a road trip here to check these out but uh hey you know a successful game there if this gets the uh, helps move the the ball along the track here to get that 10th team in in the atlantic region i have in my mind honestly i i I expect if they can get through all the logistics of a stadium and get the team there and get the show on the road, I think the Atlantic region will come out strong in support of their team once they have it there, because that just seems what they do. They're a well, you know, organized community. I mean, I watch Big Brother Canada and anytime there is a contestant on that show from the Atlantic region, you have fan votes or things like that. They are often the ones who are, you know, getting up there in terms of the votes for things because their communities rally around them. And I expect a lot of the same to happen if a football team gets there in the Atlantic region. So I'm hoping it, it uh, we see more to come as we, you know, we talked a lot last round table as well about, uh, you know, the expansion potential there with the schooners. Uh, and I like these games going to different communities as well. And I know I saw some chatter on Twitter this week, 2026, I think it is. I know that's a number of years away, but uh, isn't the World Cup of Soccer or some kind of uh, soccer tournament is coming here and playing in some of these stadiums, right? So you're going to have a couple of teams that aren't going to be able to play home games for a number of weeks there. You know, I saw some great suggestions and I apologize. I don't remember who it was from, but let's start putting some games out in some of these other communities during times like that, right? Help grow the game there. I, I think it, it's great to see. Yeah, you know, it, it might suck to lose a home game that you get to go to, but hey, I'm fine missing one game every here and there uh, at IG Field if it helps grow the league. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, right? I, I think that World Cup is going to fall uh, right to the tail end of the preseason, uh, somewhere around the 5th of June to like the first week of July. Typically, that's when it is in the summer. Uh, perfect opportunity for these Canadian markets uh, to move the game. Uh, I'm going to have a real outlandish idea, but I don't think Randy Ambrosi is going to see this through. But I hope to see in my lifetime, or at least some kind of track in that direction, the CFL become a 12-team lead. I think it's certainly doable. I think we're, we're busy talking about 10. But I think there's some quiet markets in here that you could get a fairly significant uh, CFL uh, rooting interest, uh, one of which is on Vancouver Island. I, I think if you wanna if you wanna look at getting this team real true Canadiana, people should be looking beyond that 10 team. Get that 10 team on the ground, and then get number 11 and number 12 going. And then you, then you can really, really ignite uh, geographic rivalries even more. Anybody have any final thoughts on uh, Touchdown Atlantic before we move on? No, not really. I mean, it's just great that uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Toronto Argonauts could sell that out that quick again. 
Uh, kudos to all the guys in Atlantic Canada that put that together and got it going. And yeah, it just it makes it a lot more clear that they want football. Uh, let's face it, it's, it, I think that could be the next Winnipeg, the next Regina uh, team. Just they they love their their sports and being maybe the only professional sport out there, just like Saskatchewan, bodes well for Atlantic Canada. Are we surprised? Are we surprised that uh, it uh, it is you know the Argos and the Riders and, and maybe not more of a rivalry game like two teams that are rivals or do we kind of see that as a uh, you know you look at Labor Day and Banjo Bowl those are heavy hitters for ticket sales those teams aren't going to give those games up. Uh, you know, those rivalry games, same things with, I think, some other ones around the league. Uh, I don't know. What do you think of this matchup, Trey, and uh, and, and touchdown Atlantic? No, it's, it's the matchup you have to go with. You got to go with the team who, unfortunately, is having the biggest struggles to get fans there. So the one that's going to miss out a game the least. And then you got to go, like what I said, you got to go with the Dallas Cowboys, right? The team that every – you can't go to a Jays game. You can't go to any a Raptors game. You can't go anywhere without seeing a green jersey somewhere, right? So you got to go with that team that everyone loves to hate and everyone hates to love. You know, it's it. It's unfortunate. Like, I really want Toronto to do better. Like, I really do. So before people are come at any comments, I say with that. But, like, I'm going to say what it is. They're, they don't – they can't get fans in the seats. So you're going to move that game to the Atlantic Canada 10 times out of 10 until they figure that out. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point on that. Well, let's move on to our next topic on the board here. The, uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have unveiled their new third jersey for this coming season. Uh, let's start with, uh, let's go right back to you here, Trey. Uh, what do you think about this uh, this new third jersey? And uh, can you describe it, I guess, for our listeners a little bit? The best way I can describe it is blue, baby, blue. That's that's all you see. I I think it looks good. I you know I was definitely thinking they were going to go with the gold route like they have in the past. Uh, I the more I look at it, I think I mentioned it to you guys earlier. I kind of start seeing the Vikings third jersey a little bit, a rush jersey they have, just blue instead of purple. But other than that, I think it's you know they emphasize the W, which is a big marketing point here in Winnipeg. And I think the best part of the marketing is the boys look happy wearing it; they love it. You know, I mean, when anytime you see uh, Willie Jefferson excited like that you know you're ready for football when is willie jefferson not excited about that's true that's true but he's he's loving that jersey and when i saw the hype video i was like oh if he's that excited for it it must be a good one yeah you got a a crisp royal blue jersey i feel like i'm like running an ad for for a clothing line here but a crisp royal blue jersey you got some gold stripes uh two on each shoulder uh Big W in the middle, white with a gold outline. You got a gold stripe or two down the, the side of the pants here. Uh, the numbers on the front of the jersey and on the back, uh, you know, top top right when you're looking at it. Uh, Mike, what do you think of these new jerseys? I'll, I'll say this. I was expecting worse. I really was. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised. Uh, they had a royal whatever it was jersey way back when um 
it's a little unfortunate they didn't bring the gold in, but this to me, but I expected it's it's a blue jersey that looks a lot like the home jersey with a few. Well, as far as the color scheme goes, um, I will say this till forever: the best blue bomber alternate jersey there ever was was the gold ones that we wore in the 2000 and the year we lost to the Riders in the Grey Cup. Um, that to me is the by far. I think it was 2006, I want to say, or 2007. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I know. So those were the best alternate jerseys. However, these will be a close setting for me. Um, you know, just something different. Uh, obviously, it's a money thing. You know, you want people to buy these jerseys. Uh, I was just uh, seeing online here as we were talking. Uh, PR guy for the Bombers, Darren Tamman says uh, that the Bombers will wear these jerseys twice this year, uh, which is good. Uh, all in all, no complaints for me. Um, I'm one of those guys, but it's like a new logo. You know, you, you see the logo and, and you think, oh, okay, you know, it's just a logo, right? And then you see the logo on the jersey and it, it, it kind of grows on you. The picture looks great. I can't wait to see these uh, jerseys on the field and uh, hopefully scoring lots of touchdowns. You know, whatever they did, this was going to be an improvement over those god-awful blue and blue camo jerseys they put out as their third jerseys uh, a number of years ago. The bar was so low. <laughs> like, there was so little they needed to do to get this right. I don't mind them. I go back and forth on these jerseys. To me, you, you know, they're very neon bluish, but that, like we talked about before the show, that's kind of the color scheme the CFL seems to to go with, you know, bright, uh, bold jerseys here. So uh, I agree. Maybe I, I would have liked a, a gold version a little more, but you know, all in all, not not a bad jersey. I don't mind it. Uh, Adam, any any outside perspective here? Well, I don't think they have enough green on them, but I mean, that's a different <laughs> story. Uh, you know what? No, honestly, these jerseys are very nice. I'll give them that. Uh, kind of gives me that old nostalgia feel of the Hamilton Tiger Cat jersey that they used to have with the highlighter yellow. Kind of gives me that same kind of vibe, uh, but maybe less, uh, more simplistic, I would call it. Uh, love the idea for the marketing team for them that they have the big W right in the front instead of having just the jersey number and having jersey just in the side corner, or the number in the side corner. I really like that part. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how their pants and their uh, uh, helmet match up, or helmets and everything else match up with that jersey. Uh, they could be the all blues, and that nah, probably would look a little odd. However, like I said, I actually kind of like these jerseys right now, but we'll see what they look like more on the field. Any final thoughts from anybody on these uh, before we move on? Yeah, I want to say one thing. Just any little minor changes teams have done. Like, I know Montreal had their new uh, helmet, I believe, and same with the Elks. I, I like everything the teams have been doing so far. They're trying little things. Like, Edmonton went back to the double E. Uh, Montreal got rid of – they put the logo on their side. The little changes added with this. And, uh, yeah, Adam, they're going to go with blue pants. I think I said – I think it's us. It's all blue. Uh, now, now, now you got me thinking. Are they going to look too much like the Argos out there? But 
it's it's a tough thing to have when you only have so many colors uh, you can mix and match with. You know, I'm you know, telling you, I, you can go camo, and then you won't look anything like the Argos. <laughs> you know, the other one that I can think of too is the Saskatchewan Rough Rider All Whites. You know, they're great to go into a reference to the Star Wars uh, trilogy, but in reality. <laughs> Once they started getting dirty and everything with the white helmets and everything, they didn't look quite right. So, you know what? We'll see how they look on the field. I bet they'll probably look pretty good. Like I said, I love the W in the front, but you know what? We'll, the, I'll, I'll determine it more when they hit the field. I'm happy, Trey, you mentioned uh, the Alouette's uh, new helmet as well, because that was just announced, I think, yesterday at this point. Uh, yesterday or today? Uh, but it uh, it looks very sharp as well. Uh, big logo on the side there of the helmet. You like to see that. So, yeah, much the same. I agree. Uh, nice to see teams uh, tinkering with their uh, their uniforms here a little bit. And I uh, can't wait to see them out on the field this season for sure. Uh, now, when we see them out on the field, uh, perfect segue here. We're going to see them out there with uh, the players wearing them, uh, playing a slightly different game. Uh, with, uh, you know, some rule changes we mentioned. I think we talked a little bit about it last episode uh, that, the you know, what could the CFL explore here for rule changes? And, uh, well, they've made a number of them. Uh, none too major and groundbreaking, I'll say, but uh, the hash marks are going to be moving in a little bit to open up play. Uh, the after a field goal or a single point drives will start at the 40 yard line instead of the 35. Um, and uh, when teams kick off, they'll be doing it so from five yards back. Uh, what else is there? Kick returns, uh, 15 yard, no yards penalties anytime. Uh, somebody comes within that five yard halo zone, not even if not as just if the ball is in the air. Uh, two quarterbacks allowed on the field at the same time uh, on a play legally now. There will be a communications coordinator from the, the officials on the sideline to uh, help speed things up a little bit and pass info along to the coaches. Uh, penalty at the end of the first and third quarter might not stop the quarter from ending, so that's an extra small little thing there. Uh, command center has more abilities coming into this season to, to go in, you know, call things on the field to try to take the slow reviews out of things. Uh, two objectionable pen conduct penalties, uh, I believe, gets you, or unnecessary roughness gets you kicked out of the game. Quarterbacks also can't fake slide anymore. Uh, so a number of rule changes here. We knew a ton of different ones have been discussed. Uh, let's open the floor here a little bit, though. What does everybody think of these uh, these new rule changes? Uh, Mike, let's start with you. I am very curious what these hash mark uh, rules are going to do. Um, I think people say it's going to make a big, big impact as far as you know utilizing the whole field. I'm not so sure on that quite yet. Um, but again, I, I think a lot of these rules cater to the offense this year versus in the past they've maybe trended to the defense. Um, so it's going to be interesting, right? I, I think there's a rule in there where you move the kickoff. Uh, 
I, I guess that's the spur. It's interesting to me how the NFL has kind of gone away from, you know, the tip-off returns, whereas the CFL has gone to kind of embrace that. Um, that, to me, is a very interesting dynamic. Also found out today in talking to uh, an individual who is affiliated with the U Sports, um, he said to me that the rules with the hash marks are not going to be unilaterally enforced. Because um, there's some schools that play in CFL um, buildings in the, in the Canada West, and there's those that play on campuses. They're not going to make it one size fits all. Um, so if you're in a non-CFL stadium, you're going to play with the old hash marks. And if you're in a CFL stadium, you're going to play with the CFL hash marks in the new position. So taking that aside, I think that's how we're going to make the difference on on the hash mark rule. That, to me, is the biggest uh, unknown to me. Um, I just hope they didn't tweak the rules in favor of the offense as an overreaction because I like a good defensive game too. If every game is 41-38, it kind of gets turned into arena football. I like that fine balance down the middle of you have an offensive shootout versus a defensive showdown. So to me, my biggest wait and see is with the hash marks. I'm not sure it's going to have the effect people think it's going to have. But I could be proven wrong. You know, I think the mostly the theme of the rule changes is a little goes a long way this year. Uh, I really, really enjoy the ha- – myself, Michael, I really enjoy the hash marks moving in. Uh, let's face it, the offense then can get that extra wide receiver out there and make some extra moves and get some extra yak yards and everything else. So, to me, I really like that one. Uh, the other one, though, that I'm a little more questionable about is the uh, – uh, no yards call uh, for 15 yards. I know back in the day, pretty much I'm sure that they was said that coaches were training their uh, players, you know what, if that ball drops, hit the guy. Don't worry about the five yards. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that will change uh, the ideas of uh, special teams coordinators when that comes in. That being said, though, really all of these rules I can get behind and without very much uh, question. Uh, the only one that I also maybe that I'm a little more against is the uh, ball starting at the 40-yard line after a field goal. you got to, in the CFL, a minute is a long time. You don't need to give them an extra five yards or so, I don't think, uh, right off the bat to possibly try to score that touchdown or that field goal to respond. Uh, that's the only real rule that I kind of am not really in favor of. All the rest, though, yeah, no, great job by the CFL Rule Committee. You know, uh, yeah, I think I think the hash marks are going to play a big role, but I think these new, like, kickoff rules, because aren't they also kicking off farther back? I believe that was one, things like that. I think the one problem I do have with the Canadian game is I feel like you end up having a lot of two-and-outs and, you know, you get that second and third quarter when you haven't come back from getting a couple beers yet. You haven't really missed much. 
um, where you compare it to the American game, you know, you guys, you got Tom Brady being able to have the ball for 12 minutes out of a 15 minute quarter. Right. So I think this is a way of trying to up scoring without creating. This is the way to up scoring without adding the fourth down. And I think it's the best way the CFL can do that. I think they knocked it out of the park with this uh, for the most part. And I think the reaction has been very positive uh, on Twitter, as I've seen as well of, a lot of people saying a lot of the things we have, you know, wanting to see how the hash marks play out, maybe not being, you know, 100% sure on the 15 yards, no yard or the kickoff position. But by and large, you know, very happy because I think this both, uh, it, it pleases the long-term fans because we have not overhauled or changed the game drastically from from what the diehard long-term fans are, are used to here, right? The the four downs was the big one that uh, had a lot of people up in arms. They didn't go that route, but they did make a lot of the smaller changes that, like we said, could improve offenses, you know, make kick returns, really leaning into the kick returns, which is a big thing about the CFL that's more exciting, I think, than the NFL game. I, I, I don't know anybody who would necessarily disagree with that take uh, on that one. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on that, but... Uh, overall, I, I think they're they're kind of leaning into a lot of the things that make the Canadian game great. I think there's also just a lot of these are simple things that make sense, like having an official on the sideline that communicates with, with the coaches so the ref doesn't have to run up and down the field that makes it easier to call timeouts and things like that. Like, yeah, that's a no-brainer to me to, to go and do simple things like that. Or even, you know, don't end the quarter on a penalty on the first and the third quarter. I love the CFL, and I think a lot of these, you know, please long-term fans well, but I think they also speed up the game in a way, a lot of these, to introduce new fans to it. I know we're not going to fully get into the conversation on the USFL here on this episode of the podcast, but I'll say I checked out opening weekend. Traditionally not a four-down football guy myself. I don't watch a ton of NFL. I checked out the USFL. I loved what I saw opening weekend for the most part. It was a quick game. It was an exciting game. They had a lot of good games that weekend. And I liked how fast the pace of the game moved along. And I think, you know, these are small, simple things that don't rock the boat that the CFL has changed here to, uh, you know, accommodate a quicker game and maybe introduce some new fans that way as well. And I think there's some fun rules here too. Like the two quarterbacks on the field, like how fun is that going to be, right? Oh, especially for the team that have two quarterbacks that you put out there. Yeah, that's the only thing is how many teams have two quarterbacks right now that you are wanting to put out there, unless you're Edmonton. But, you know, I would love – see, again, I, I hated seeing it because I literally saw a 1,000 people put it, but this was the rule for when Strevler or a guy – when you have a guy like that on your team, um, then, yeah, it makes sense. But, of course, you put this rule in three years after he's left. So, um but yeah, one thing, there was a rule that I thought they had talked about changing holding to five yards, and that wasn't included. If you guys, what I wanted that one. That was my biggest one because I feel a holding call is the biggest thing to kill your drive. You got only, you know, especially on second down. Next thing you know, you got second and 15, second and 16. And like I said earlier, the two and outs are what I think add a lot of time to the TV broadcast when you're punting all the time. So if we had moved it to the five, I think we would. That was one I was really disappointed not seeing. Otherwise, I think it was great. Why do you think it wasn't instituted then? Probably because they're maybe because they did so many offensive 
uh, rules already. They didn't want to go more. Because I also think watch watch uh, pass interference be off the roof this year. If they have this many rules supporting the offense, I bet they're also telling the Zebras to really watch defensive pass interference. And we're going to see a lot of those this year, too, to try to up scoring. Because I agree, I like a defensive game once in a while, too. But the kids, the kids these days, they want the, you know, 40-41 Madden games, right? Like, that's what they want. And if you want to get that demographic into the games, that's what you're going to need to have. You know, one thing I was always told was that you can get an offensive lineman to hold at any time. Pretty much anything you could call holding if you really want to. To me, I think you're better off training the referee or the uh, linesman to uh, to make sure that they're watching, uh, that it's definitely a hold, that it impeded the play. And instead of changing the 10-yard, 5-yard rule, I think that would be a better way of doing it. Uh I hope that they give the referee some better education uh, on that just so that you don't have that holding call coming up at the most inopportune time, and especially when it didn't impede the play. I'm interested to see how this uh, the command center's extra involvement is going to be involved in this, right? So the change in the CFL's kind of news output here say uh, – the circumstances under which the command center is allowed to help on-field officials without a coach's challenge or an official's huddle will be expanded to include possession rulings, boundary rulings, and administrative rules such as formation without an end or ineligible receiver. So it doesn't sound like the eye in the sky is necessarily going to be calling and correcting penalty calls uh, regularly, but you know you have to wonder a few of these things, what impact will that have? Because... Uh, you know, the use of technology and replays and being able to zoom in on cameras versus an official on the field trying to catch this uh, a million things going on in front of them in real time. Like, I, I think it's good to have that extra presence here. And, and I wonder if it's it can go one of two directions. It can go and speed up the game a lot and be, make things more accurate, or it can go very nitpicky and go the other direction, right? And all of a sudden, everything is being reviewed by this. So I don't know. What do you guys think of the this extra involvement from the command center? Uh, I don't mind it, too. Like I, I think the biggest problem is I hate reviewable plays that are, like, judgment calls. So, like, the reviewable pass interference. Like, that is – that is, you know, I got rid of it after one year. Like, you know, they just it, – it's – but things like this with the, like, you either are in a legal formation or you're not, right? You're either, the, you have the ball or you don't. Like, these are really, seem like pretty um, pretty standard rules that they're going to have control over. So as long as it sticks to that and it doesn't start looking at, like, holding, pass interference, um, little thing, like, little offside by an inch, then I think you're fine and it shouldn't slow down the game. No, I tend to agree. I mean, let's face it. As long as it's a black and white play or a clear and obvious penalty, I mean, why? What's the problem with the command center uh, calling down to the referee and saying, "Hey, yeah, that's that's a illegal formation with no end or whatever they want to call"? Uh, yeah, I I agree with it. It's it's a good call. Well, the worst that the absolute worst thing is whenever your coach has to burn his challenge on a play that was obvious, right? Like. Hopefully this eliminates situations like that because that, that sucks for both the flow of the game and also for the strategy of the game there as well. Um, yeah, so new changes on, uh, to the rules here for the CFL. I think for the most part uh, we're all in agreement here that uh, 
this is uh, these are some good changes, and we're excited to see uh, how they take place out on the field, and, and we'll see how they are implemented there. Uh, one final topic before we close out the show. I, Adam, I know you had one topic you wanted to bring up here quickly before we close things out. You know, yeah, just real quick. Uh, has there been any team this year that has improved their uh, reputation more than the Edmonton Elks, and especially their president, Victor, has done an amazing job with the Edmonton Elks, bringing them back into the positive limelight, and this week was no different. Eddie Steele, uh, longtime Edmonton Elk, and uh, I'm not sure if he's still color commentary or not uh, for the Edmonton Elks broadcast, uh, ended up moving, and unfortunately somebody decided to break into their vehicle and steal a Grey Cup ring from Eddie Steele. Now, most teams, that's not their problem. You lost your ring, that's your thing. Victor goes out on social media and says to Eddie, DM me, we'll get you a new ring. I mean, as a goodwill to a CFLPA player, just an amazing thing to do. And in the public eye, that is just just amazing work by the Elks' new president. Uh, What's your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I think... A plus, um, you know, people almost say, oh, what's he going to do next? What's he going to do next? Knowing what I've seen from Victor Cooley, um, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, not one bit. Um, it almost, to be honest, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, I'd be a little bit surprised if the reaction wasn't this way. Um, just based on what I've seen from them. So, full on A+. Plus, uh, I think the Alex are going to be a big, big problem for teams. Maybe not this year, but maybe next year and the year after. Because if this team starts winning, this guy's already promised to sell on opening night. Uh, and we know how difficult Commonwealth is to... Uh, to sell out, uh, but apparently Edmonton will show up because they did for a soccer game in November. Um, so I, I guess it is doable. Um, but now all of a sudden you've got a president that has the interest of the alumni as well as his current team, as well as a marketing plan that I've seen that would envy probably just about every other sports franchise in North America, never mind, you know, CFL. Good on him. Good on him. And it's almost like, and I don't want to make this assumption because I haven't spoken to him, it's almost like his uh, salary contraction, contractual uh, salary-related is almost setting to it almost sounds like they die that he's not in it for the money but he's in it for the betterment of the community and is committed to repairing the brand that has been badly damaged and quite honestly it's a breath of fresh air uh the cfo needs more guys like him uh making these types of uh gestures as well as putting people in seats a plus for me yeah, I think to me, like, then my favorite thing is that it, it just looks like he's having fun doing it too, right? Like, I don't know if you all saw, he had a video where he brought his mom on the video and, and she appeared and, and 
and, and had some fun content with the two of them for April Fool's Day. He uh, he called up Coach Chris Jones and uh, told him uh, uh, on the video over the phone that I uh, wanted to run the idea of putting antlers on the helmets, uh, like physical antlers on the sides of the helmets for all of the players and uh, told Chris Jones he was going to get him one too. Uh, it's clear he's having fun. You know, he, he's and he, he's relating to all kinds of fans. He's going out there. He's doing podcasts as well. You know, he was on the Turf District, our, our friends in the Canadian Football Podcast Network. A great uh, episode together with them. Uh, I believe he was also on the Mark Cast for an episode there as well. You know, friend of the show. Uh, so, uh, you know, getting around to talking to CFL fans, interacting with CFL fans. I don't know how many other presidents from around the, the league you can, you can say all of these things about, and it's great to see things turning around. And, uh, with Chris Jones there too, I, I expect on the field to turn around pretty soon for the Elks to, uh, Trey, any thoughts on this? No, I think I'm going to add is like, you, you got, um, when you, you, people can only spend their money on limited things, right? So Edmonton, you got the Oilers who are definitely going to make the playoffs and are an exciting team to watch. They have a CPL team. We're going to talk soccer. You know, they host FIFA games all the time. They're going to, there are two of our down to the final um, the three cities. Who's going to be a team to host the world cup when it's here in 2026. So people have limited money to spend, right? Especially coming out of a pandemic, but this guy's making it, you know, making the Elks a good choice. Like they're competing, you know, I hate to say that, like, you, you know, the NHL or other leagues are, like, competitors with the CFL, but it all is. We only have limited money to spend. And, you know, you're going to have a team, you're going to potentially have a World Cup play three or four games in your city. You're trying to make the organization that represents the stadium. you got to make, you know, he's doing a lot of things right. And, you know, it's a class act for to bring back or to get a uh, ring for an ex-player, especially when he, the player wasn't, even, like, they weren't at the same time period, right? Like, it nothing to do with each other i just yeah i like the elks and what they're doing adam any any final thoughts on the topic you know when you got a guy in there that's all business like chris jones it's just a breath of fresh air to see two separate uh kind of almost competing uh personalities it brings everybody in it brings that serious football fan in brings a casual guy in that just wants to come and have some excitement and maybe put some elk ears on uh, it brings in everybody. I really hope that he has that football stadium just a rocking uh, for game one in Brickfield when uh, when the Elks get going. Well, I think that does it pretty much for this roundtable here tonight. It's been a long one here today, boys. Uh, lots, lots of great chatter, lots to talk about. Uh, we didn't even get to all the possible topics, so you know, we'll cover some more again next week uh, and recap the draft there as well. So look forward to that. Of course, the draft comes Tuesday night, May 3rd. Uh, if you enjoyed this roundtable, go back, check out our last episode. We had another great one. Uh, Adam, Trey, and myself uh, talked through another uh, variety of topics uh, from around the CFL offseason as well, because that's what we do during the offseason until we get into, uh, you know, the preseason season previews and then into the full on content uh, once the season begins at the start of June as well. So lots of fun things to come here from us on the Canadian football countdown. And you can find us on uh, social media. You can find us on Twitter at CF countdown pod. You can find us on Facebook as well. The Canadian football countdown there. Make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian football podcast network at CF pod network on Twitter. 
uh, each of you guys, anybody, uh, uh, you know, got anything you want to plug? Uh, and where can people find you on social media? Uh, Adam, let's start with you. So, yeah, you can find me at Adam Stewart one I love to talk CFL football by the looks of things. A lot of you had mentioned me, so shout out to all you guys over on Twitter that uh, gave me a message just before the show here. Uh, would love to hear more from you. Uh, we also have uh, to figure out what the bet is going to be between me and Trey for uh, the Banjo Bowl and the Labor Day Classics. So if you got some ideas, throw them out on Twitter to us, to myself, or to Trey. And, uh, yeah, let's get it going. Right on. Trey, where, uh, what you all got going on and where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me at Trey MB Harness. Uh, I'm the uh, go-to guy for harness racing in Manitoba. So you want to talk horse racing, football, or any sport. Sadly, those Raptors couldn't get it to round two, but that's okay. And real quick, real quick shout out. I believe it's ECE week. So, you know, any early child educators out there, thank you for what you do. Uh, my amazing partner uh, is an ECE and as a dad of three kids, you know, the world we live in, we couldn't do it without uh, daycare centers and uh, all the people who help us, the communities that help us raise our children. So thanks, everybody. Well said. Very well said there. Uh, Mike, always busy guy. Uh, what you got going on lately, man? Uh, not much that I can get into, but you can find it when it does come out uh, on Twitter at Mike Darrow. Uh, you can also fo- follow everything on uh, Facebook.com backslash GameTime TV MB. Right on there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CooperTrooper42. Uh, I don't tweet a lot, to be honest, but uh, you can find me there. If you want to see my uh, picture of myself and my cat and uh, see me retweeting our show, uh, you can find it there. Uh, as I mentioned, check us out on Twitter. Whatever podcast platform you're listening on, we appreciate it if you do all the fun things, uh, such as like, comment, rate, review, subscribe, share the show with your friends, help us grow the show. We always appreciate that. And uh, as always, on behalf of our whole panel here this evening, thank you for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.